when you know they say oh i really want to explain this concept to you let's go to the whiteboard and that's the first thing they think is can i draw this for you i think that that kind of shows this shift in mentality that makes me really happy welcome to the lowdown a podcast of news and ideas from the columbia alumni association so you may notice some background noise during this recording Let's just call it the New York ambiance, but we apologize for the noise in advance. For this episode, we visited one of the forward-thinking initiatives taking place at Columbia. Tucked away down a side street near the Morningside campus, we found a place where thinkers, doers, and general challengers of the status quo come together to design a better future. It's called the Design Studio, and it's a project that developed through the Columbia Entrepreneurship Program. The studio brings innovators and entrepreneurs from across campus to pitch human-centered design ideas, identifying problems and dreaming up solutions for everything from micro-gardening to a dream team of surgeons in East Africa. I sat down with the design studio to talk about human-centered design, how to think like an entrepreneur, and the first step to conceiving that great idea. In this interview, you'll hear from Adam Royalty, a Stanford D School alum and head of the studio, and Alice Bosley, the design lead who is also doing her master's in international affairs at Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs. When I walk into the studio to chat with Adam and Alice, the space itself seems to be set up for a unique purpose. It's full of natural light, there are trendy chairs everywhere, and every whiteboard is covered in brightly colored doodles and notes. It's inherently creative. You know, our, our furniture, our, our tables are on wheels, our whiteboards are on wheels. So we can reconfigure the space any way that we want, right? So, you know, behind you right now is essentially this horseshoe um, setup of desks. That's for the greenhouse course. It's kind of a smaller, advanced entrepreneurship course. Everyone in there is planning or have already uh, have already incorporated and they're, they're, they're you know, not looking at job offers. They're like, we're going to start a company. But when we do a sprint, you know, we might make... You know, we might mix it up where there's a, just a bunch of, uh, like, just a group of tables. And the idea is that we can create a space conducive to the type of learning that we want. And design takes on different kind of, of postures, right? So sometimes we want to be up and active and loud and we play music. Other times we want to be reflective and, and a little bit quiet. So maybe we'll have, maybe we'll set the table height to be lower on those moments. And if we want to brainstorm, maybe we'll take the tables out completely and make people stand. So we essentially you know, force people to behave like designers in, in the type of activities they work on, and the way they're standing, the way they're talking, and then they reflect on that and kind of decide, how do I, how do I show up in a, in a creative way? This actual physical space stands in contrast to so many spaces that students are used to. Like, nothing's well to the floor, it's not an amphitheater, it's not this traditional classroom that most people grew up in. We want to stand in contrast to normal courses because we want people to learn in a different way. Adam first noticed the limitations of traditional lecture-based learning when he ran a math lab for online learning in his Idaho hometown. He moved down to Stanford to do his master's, where the D School, which is a design thinking institute, had just opened. He jumped right into the first classes they offered, and then he had a revelation. I was like, wow, you know, this is the most rich way to learn that I've ever come across. Everything you're doing is in service of learning, whether it be talking to people, whether it be building, you're always, always learning. Adam stayed on to work at the D School as it grew, then he moved out here to Columbia to teach and start the design studio. Celebrating its second year now, 
The studio quickly attracted other visionaries like Alice here, another Stanford student who is also finishing up her master's at Columbia, focusing on integrating design thinking in humanitarian affairs. Between Stanford and Columbia, Alice also worked at a university in Iraq and worked at the Innovation Lab at the UN Refugee Agency. We basically use design thinking to solve major humanitarian challenges, whether that is kind of how can you redesign um, refugee camps to feel less like barracks and more like communities, to how can we utilize technology and data in new ways to kind of provide better services to the people that we are trying to serve. Alice brought that field-based design thinking back with her, and as a design lead, she's helping budding entrepreneurs think in new ways. As an initiative of Columbia Entrepreneurship, the Design Studio reports directly to the Office of the President, uniting entrepreneurial efforts from across campus. Really, it's, it's a landing pad and a launching pad for anyone interested in entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurship is, is, is something that students are craving more and more. People are coming to Columbia because they want to be entrepreneurs, which is you know, different than you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. More and more students. We use human-centered design as a way to help people with their startups. And I think one of the things that design is particularly good at is getting people started, especially for students who say, like, I, you know, I want to solve a problem. I kind of want to have a startup. I don't really have an idea. And so what we do is we help students understand what needs exist out there, like what's really a problem that's important and, and like sort of has some traction. Based on both of our backgrounds and kind of the broader mandate of the design studio, we also help people who don't necessarily have entrepreneurial projects, but have other projects that they're interested in pursuing. We're not, we're not connected to any one school, which means that the people that come to these are you know, business students, they're engineering students, they're SEPA students, teachers college, and they all can kind of interact and share ideas together. This semester, we are running sprints that are focused on specific parts of the design process. And then we have two longer programs. The first is called um, the Design Leaders Program, and that's for entrepreneurs who have an idea, they are going forward with it, um, and they want some help, like Adam was saying, to kind of kickstart their idea. We also do studio hours, which are where um, different students or um, associates or people who work at the university even can come in and kind of talk to us about their ideas and maybe brainstorm with us and, and learn more about the process. We also co-teach classes. Um, and then we also visit different classes. And so I was dressed up at the medical school last, um, last week working with this class um, to help kind of medical students and engineers and business students launch medical technologies. And then the last thing which we are launching in one month, a little less than a month, is called Design Your Future. And so that's, that's for people who kind of want to have an entrepreneurial take on their life. So it's about brainstorming kind of what are the different paths that you might be able to take, you know, come up with three potential paths for your future and brainstorm how those might roll out. Like, as Alice mentioned, for us, it's about helping people be confident in their creativity and being entrepreneurial. I, th I believe that a lot of people want to be entrepreneurial, and they don't necessarily have the language for that, you know. And, f and for us, entrepreneurial is, you know, not, is getting out of your own way and not letting barriers stop you and f figuring out a way to solve a problem any way you can. Whether that be for a company, starting a company, which is great, or starting a family, or getting a dream job, but it's a way of, of behaving that we want to foster, and, and that's, that's really what we do with Design Studio. It's about supporting people so that they can then you know, take action the way they want. And in just a year and a half, 
They've already supported over 1,100 students through design sprints, workshops, and classes. And the studio is growing this year to include even more programs and chances for students, staff, and alumni to collaborate. So now we know it's popular, but maybe you're still wondering, what is design thinking anyway? So let's dig a little deeper. The Design Studio's website describes it as, quote, customer-centric methodologies for developing innovative and practical solutions to ill-defined problems. Here's Alice's take. It's putting your customer or your user or the community you serve at the center of every single thing you do. And that sounds extremely commonsensical, right? It's like, of course, you know, I'm creating this product for this person. Of course, I'm going to keep the person at the center. But I think if you are an entrepreneur and you have this idea and you just think it is the best idea ever, you've been thinking about it for years. And probably a lot of that thinking has been done in your head. And the idea of actually kind of getting out of the building and talking to as many people as you can about this idea that you've been holding so close to you, it's, it's scary and it's new and it's different. I think the great thing that we do here is that we push people to do it while they are here. So they come to a sprint on user research and we talk to them about interviewing people and about kind of learning from people's emotions and motivations and then we actually send people out of the studio and they have to go interview people during the sprint and so it's a way to just ensure that what you think about your customer what you think your customer will want is actually what your customer does want. And I, a lot of what we do is is really about kind of pushing people out of the nest and, and pushing them out of their own heads and making them go and, and understand their customers better. Adam and Alice take their students through several steps to find effective solutions. I asked Adam to sketch out the design process they follow, and he pulled out of a pen. Sure. So w- what I'm sketching out right now is... Uh, our design process. I think it's a particularly good scaffold for people who are getting started, who have not seen design. Who, you know, and, and the scaffold is important because one of the things we do is take on really ambiguous problems. And so people have to do a lot of exploration. Like a lot of times through our education system, we're used to being given a problem and then we go execute on the solution. But here a lot of it's problem seeking, right? Which is messy and unknown and just so open that it can it can be, again, a contrast to how people normally learn. And so the design process that we teach here is A, just a beginning, but also a scaffold to help people get through that amb- ambiguity. There are many different versions of this design thinking process, but Adam chose a four-step model that fits their teaching style. He draws four boxes, two on the top and two on the bottom, to form one big square. The first thing we start with is explore. So it's the first of four steps. And this is really understanding the problem. Um, and we do that in a very human-centered way through speaking with people and, and engaging in interviews. So what's a good example? Maybe I want to learn more about... Um... Well, this is an example from the humanitarian field, but maybe I want to learn more about why people use three stone fires in the developing world when, you know, there are a number of health risks and, um, you know, fire can be dangerous. And so maybe what you do is you go and you spend the day cooking with someone and you are there and you're actually experiencing what they experience. Or potentially you give someone a camera and you say, take a picture of, you know, every um, everything you're doing through the course of your afternoon, because I would love to learn and see through your eyes what you're seeing. Um, or maybe it's a conversation. Maybe you talk to them about, you know, 
why is it that this is the way you cook? Tell me about tell me about your mother and how your mother cooked. Tell me about um, how this brings together your family in different ways. And it's really digging into kind of what is the emotion behind someone's actions and how can you learn how that emotion then it kind of generates behavior which results in in whatever it is that you might be trying to um, create some solution for. One student team called Baby Bloom has worked hard to fully understand the people who will use their product. So Baby Bloom is a group of engineers and medical students, and actually a, a business student a, a, as well. Um, so one of, what they look at is how to help um, new mothers regulate their milk supply. And this is an important problem, especially for a lot of working mothers, because you can, um, if you don't pump enough, you don't feed enough, your milk supply can go down, or you can you overreduce, which can have other medical issues. And what they're what they are working on is a bottle that helps women know exactly how much milk they're producing, and so they can take control over their supply. One thing I really like about them is. They have you know, the engineering and medical chops to make something work and make it work really well. And one of the things that they, that they came into the design leaders program with is how do we better understand our customers? And they did a ton of interviews. They found you know, you know, women that were, that were new moms and really had an understanding of not just how, how is this device going to work, but how are customers going to respond to it? How are they going to actually use it? Which gave them a very good overall perspective about what, not just what their product is, but what is the experience that they're creating, right? Which is really what what we've seen, I think, in the broader marketplace is people, big companies, small companies, it's not just about the product, but what is the experience you're creating for your customer? And they are very much on point with that by doing great design work. Step two is called reframe. It's essentially looking at how do we reframe the challenge that we're working on. And and not just like a if we should reframe it, but you know, no matter you you know, students start on a challenge, you're gonna learn something by talking to people and it's gonna give you new insights. So no matter what, you're gonna have a slightly different take on what the problem is that you're working on. Do we wanna work on the stove itself? Or maybe there's something about how people come together and, and cook with one another. Or maybe there's something about like where the stove is, right? So you can actually choose what problem you wanna solve. Yeah, and I think, you know, people often say the solution you create is only as strong as the problem you've defined. And I think that this um, this part is really about, okay, we've learned all of this stuff about our users, about the communities we're serving. What does that actually mean for how we're going to create some solution or some product that will benefit these, these people? There's a, um, a guy here who is a business school student. He went through Lean Launchpad this... Um, this winter with this idea called Musician U. And it's how basically it's an online platform to bring together musicians and people interested in music to create like-minded communities and have people um, sell their services or make extra money on the side or get in touch with other musicians to have a jam band or, or different things like this. And so it's been really fun working with him and it will continue to be fun working with him because all he's doing all of this research on kind of who, who are these underground musicians here in New York that really need a community of people to support them um, and need to be connected to different opportunities. So that leads to the third step of the process we teach here, and that's generate. And that really is a time to think of as many different solutions as you can to the problem. I think, again, one thing that, that traditional education 
directs us to do is come up with like the first best idea, and you have to solve it correctly the first time. Whereas for us, we're think we're more about going for quantity, you know, getting as many different types of options out there so that we can explore them and, and test them in very quick ways. We basically take people through these really crazy exercises to just get their brains working in ways that they don't normally work. And so, yeah, maybe we'll say, okay, generate as many ideas as you can in three minutes. Just write everything up there. And then we'll have them rip that paper off and say, okay, scrap all of those ideas, generate another set of ideas. So all of the ideas that were kind of on the top of your head to begin with, those aren't allowed. You have to dig deeper. And then we'll add constraints. So, okay, let's only come up with ideas that are over a million dollars or only come up with ideas that cost zero dollars or um, ideas with magic. Come up with as many magical ideas to solve the solution as possible. And it's great because all of those, like especially the magic one, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, anything goes. If you could create any solution, what would it be? And then even if that specific solution obviously is not realistic because there is some magic component, there's probably some core to that idea that actually does hit on something real. The last phase of the, of the process we teach is prototype. And what that is all about is having a few different solutions and actually building them out and testing them. Whatever the product is, build it out, even in a very low resolution way. Don't worry about if the packaging is beautiful, don't worry if the instructions aren't there, but actually build out the experience of a product for at least one person so that you you basically will learn a couple things. Like you'll learn how, how the your customer can interact with your product. You'll also learn a whole bunch of things that you didn't know. One of the, one of the the companies that we work with, they're creating little like, hydroponic units for people's kitchens, like micro gardening. But just what does it take to set one of those up in somebody's house? Where do they choose to put it? You know, what what are their big questions about that about that kit? So there's a lot of unknowns that pop up. And that's something that you can talk to people about, but we feel the best way to learn is actually bring your bring a version of your product and put it in their house and see how, how they actually interact with it. Yeah, this team that Adam just mentioned was incredible. Um, they're called Earnt, and they are a hydroponics um, company. And their idea was, like, um, how can people grow enough food to kind of have three meals a week that have something homegrown in it? But then when we took them through this prototyping phase, one of the major things they realized is people are totally open to having one hydroponic plant in their kitchen. You know, it's great, we have fresh grown basil and it's kind of cute and it's sitting over there. But as soon as you get these kind of bigger structures in, um, people start getting really nervous. I mean, it's, it's like a fairly large, it kind of looks like a bookcase filled with hydroponic plants. And as soon as they kind of started constructing these things in people's houses people are like wait a second I thought I was signing up for a basil plant like this is a whole different thing and so they realized that this is something that they are really going to have to work through and figure out you know how big can this be so that people can actually accept it and you know they didn't even actually grow plants in these people's houses they just set up this structure um, and through just setting up that structure they learned so much about their customers and kind of their business model. So one of the things that they ended up doing is, after that prototype, they went back to more of the explore phase, and they started talking to people and figuring out, like, okay, who are who are the types of people that would really want to engage with this? So I think they did a really good job of, of cycling through a process. It's it's an iterative process, and, and 
those four squares form a square of their own. And this really is a cyclical pattern. One thing we want to guard against is people being so rigid that they only follow a four-step process. And for us, what's really important is what are the mindsets and behaviors underneath this process that really make it work? So that's what it's all about. Starting with a design process at the beginning, but then building upon it to find your own process. It really comes down to three underlying mindsets. One of the big ones is being human-centered. right? And that really comes down to caring about people and under, trying to understand the way that people experience a problem. Um, and then another one that I'll mention, which I think is evident just in the way that Alice and I support each other, is this notion of collaboration. How do we work together as a pair, as a team, that kind of stokes our creativity and, and really is just a fun, engaging way to work. Another one is experimentation. So you can experiment with who you talk to, but this idea of kind of always constantly testing something that leads you to, to iteration. And so, you know, I would say to people listening, no matter what it is that you're doing, this is a really kind of fun and interesting process to go through to kind of get to that end that you're looking for. So how can every one of us try to incorporate design thinking into our own lives? You know, all of our offerings are all about kind of getting people out and trying stuff. And there is absolutely no reason why people shouldn't just begin trying things on our own. This whole process is about kind of learning what makes you tick and how you can become a more creative person. So I think um, the design process is not only a way to create a new venture or to create a new project. I mean, I personally, and you know, I think a lot of people that I talk to use the design process for things as simple as I'm throwing a dinner party and I, and I want to think about how I can make my guests most comfortable. You know, who's sitting next to who? Like, what sorts of food do I want? How do I arrange the room so that people interact more? I mean, just the, the smallest things, when you start kind of thinking about the world in this way, um, it's, it's a lot more fun. I, if, if I were talking to someone, I would say, you know what, the next time you have to make a decision, like put a piece of paper in front of you and just brainstorm before, before you decide that there's only one thing to do, like see what else is out there and really kind of open yourself up to all of the possibilities. And then the next time, you know, you're making a decision that involves other people, like go talk to those other people. Um, you know, whether it's that you work in a company right now and that the product you're making will eventually get into the hand of consumers or whether you're in another a master's program and you're doing research and that research affects people. Just, I would say, you know, embodying this idea of, of being human-centered, that's not really something you need to read about to understand it. But it is something that I do think you need to kind of push yourself to do it. And so if you are listening to this podcast right now, I would say turn it off and get out of the building and go talk to someone because I think that that's the best way you can learn about whatever it is that you are, are trying to learn about. Well, you heard Alice, get out there and learn. But, but wait, before you go, we also want to tell you how you can get involved with the design studio. Here's what's coming up for them this year. Studio hours, the sprints are the best ways to engage. We love people coming in, especially, again, you know, we keep talking about the design studio as a place to support collaboration. It's nice to have alumni come back because they can engage with, with current students, right? And they can, you know, collaborate on ideas, but they just, it, it creates a, 
a more diverse community, right? And that's one thing that design can really leverage is people from different perspectives. So whoever you are and wherever you are, it's your turn. Go design a better world for everyone. For more information about the design studio, visit them at entrepreneurship.columbia.edu slash design studio, or shoot them an email at designstudio at columbia.edu. Thank you for listening to The Lowdown. To hear more stories, head over to thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu. This episode was produced by Shanna Crumley and the Columbia Alumni Association with music by Poddington Bear. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities. And with more than 330,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu.